let's clap our hands to the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we praise you. God, we love you. If you have your Bibles, the book of Luke's Gospel, the 15th chapter. So good to be here with you tonight. Do you love Wednesday night church? Tuesday night church, praise God. Hallelujah. Tomorrow's Wednesday. Today's Tuesday. Praise God. We have church tomorrow night. And uh, there's nothing like midweek service. Praise God. Just a good time to uh, hear the word and uh, prepare for the week. Amen. Hallelujah. In the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, as you're turning there, I just want to say that I was studying tonight. In the chapter prior to this one, Jesus talks about being invited to a wedding. And he says, when you get invited to a wedding, take the worst seat. Don't assume that you should sit in the best seat. He says, because if you're the host... The host might have prepared that seat for a more honored guest. And then the host is going to ask you to sit down somewhere else. And you're going to be ashamed. But what Jesus doesn't tell us is what happens when the host asks you to sit in an honored seat and yet you don't do it. of you parents that have ever paid for a wedding or those of you who've ever had a wedding where you have assigned seating, you know that somebody not sitting where they're supposed to can cause problems in your life. Praise God. We still talk about it 10 years later. Praise God. So-and-so did not sit where they were supposed to. But there even comes a time in our Christian walk where we have to level up. God is going to say, come and sit here. And I can't tell you how many times, because of mistakes I've made, my past experiences, my fears, I don't want to go sit where Jesus says to sit. And quite honestly, it's kind of comfortable not to grow up. The terrible twos is kind of a cool age. I feel like the Lord wants to move tonight and sweep across this congregation in a spirit of maturity and a level up and a level up. I don't know that we're going to swing from the chandeliers because there isn't any, but we may or may not run the aisles, but I pray that we grow. Do you love growth? I want to grow tonight. Hallelujah. I want to grow. Look at your neighbor say, it's time to level up. <laughs> Look at your other neighbor say, it's time to grow up. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 21. Very familiar parable. The Bible says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. I am, no worthy, not, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, everyone say servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. 
Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants, everyone say servants, and asked what these things meant. And the servant said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came the father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I any of thy commandments, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. And it was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And I want to preach to you tonight on this subject, a servant's heart. A servant's heart. Can we say that together? A servant's heart. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful and it is anointed. God, I pray that you would take away all nervousness out of my spirit and allow me to preach with assurance, with confidence, with strength, and with grace for the sake of thy people. They are a wonderful people. Your name is invoked over them. God, we pray together tonight that you would allow us to grow in the spirit, to grow in grace, and to grow in faith. I pray for a spirit of maturity to grab a hold of us tonight and to aid us and to prepare us in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Shake your neighbor's hand. Give them a great big God bless you. And you may be seated. In the following parable that we just read, there is a father, there are two sons, and then there are servants. This parable takes place in two places, which the Bible only describes as the father's house and the far country. Most people know this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son comes home, and the father has called for a celebration. The prodigal son has been gone for some time, and he has wasted not only the inheritance his father gave him, but his life and his youth in a sinful and horrible lifestyle. His older brother is upset that the father has called for all the servants to celebrate the return of his younger brother, who has been living this sinful life. Many times when we preach from this parable, we only examine the perspective, feelings, and sentiments of the father and the sons. Many times we'll preach how the father, who is representative of God in this parable, is so happy when sinners or backsliders come home. Sometimes we'll preach from the perspective of the prodigal and we'll reach for people who are half in and half out of church and we try to warn them about the dangers and the perils of living a sinful life. That's a great message too. 
And then sometimes we have to help the matured saints, the good folks that have been living for God and doing their best. We have to talk to them from the perspective of the older brother and how important it is to have a good attitude when people come back. I, I didn't think I'd get a big amen on that one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Amen. Hallelujah. At least I got a good sneeze out of that. Praise God. But today I want to preach to you from a different perspective. And that is the perspective of the servants. These are the people that observed everything from what we might call a safe distance. But they are key players in this parable. The reason that the servant's perspective is important is because we are God's servants. I said we are God's servants. We are the servants of the Lord. In Romans chapter 6, six times the Apostle Paul refers to us as the servants of God and righteousness. We are God's servants. And because we are God's servants... It behooves us, it does us good to examine what the attitude of a servant ought to be. And we ought to take every occasion we can when we read the Bible to examine, to observe, and to study the attitude, the behavior of servants. Because I believe that it reveals to us the attitude that God expects us to have while we are doing the work of God. I want to know the attitude and the heart of a servant. Because that is the kind of attitude and heart that God wants me to express. Somebody say amen. And so today, we're going to talk a little bit about the attitudes and the heart of these servants in this parable. I don't have time to go through all of it, so I'm just going to bring it down to three. First, the servants were careful with their opinions. Amen. I didn't think that would get a big amen. Hallelujah. The servants were careful with their opinions. When the father told them to welcome home the younger brother and to prepare a party, they just got to work. They did not give the father their opinion about the younger brother. They did not tell the father, amen, how to prepare the party. They did not tell the father what song they should or should not sing. They did. Been quiet. Praise God. They did not tell the father, amen, how the house should be decorated, amen. They just did as they were told. When the older brother asked them what all the commotion was about, they did not give him their opinion either. They simply said to him, this is what the father wants done, and this is what we are doing. Oh yes, that is the heart of the servant. The servant is careful with his or her opinion. Because the servant is here on the behalf of God. And the servant is here to do as the Lord has commanded them to do. The servant is not here to pick apart, amen, the celebration. The servant is here to prepare the celebration. Oh, come on, somebody. Now, it would be easy tonight to say that the servants did not give their opinion because servants do not have the right to an opinion. I want you to know that in the times of the Bible, 
servants could be elevated to the positions of heirs and sons. And servants did, in fact, have opinions. Servants could speak up if they desired to. And there are countless stories in the Bible where servants did speak up. And so it would be rather naive for us to think that they did not speak up because they did not have the right to. I think it would also be naive of us to think, or perhaps it would be too easy to say, that they did not give their opinion because they did not have one. I believe that the servants had an opinion. I believe that the servants could have expressed their opinion. But I also believe that the reason they were careful with their opinion is because the father was a good man. The reason they withheld their opinion is due to the father's goodness. The father was a good man. The father had been good to both of their son, to both of his sons. The father had been good to them. In fact, the father had been so good to them that when the younger brother was ready to come home, he said, you know what? I ought to go home because even the servants have it good over there. In fact, the father said, in fact, the younger son said, amen, when I get reinstated back into my home, I wouldn't mind coming as a servant because my father is good to my brother, my father was good to me, and my father was good to the servants. And so when you think about how good the father is, it helps you to hit the pause button on your opinion and on your criticisms. Amen. I don't know who I'm preaching to today. Amen. But I want you to know that the best way to put a negative attitude on hold and on the shelf is to think Think about the goodness of the Father. Amen. You're never going to have anything good to say if all you do is look at all the humanity around this place. There's a lot of humanity running around here. Hallelujah. There's a lot of imperfect people running around here. But the servant is not looking at their brother and at their sister. The servant is saying, is the father happy? Because if he's happy, I'm happy. Has the father called for a party? Because if he's called for a party, it's time to party. I'm not... I'm not here to pick the place apart. I'm not here to criticize the songs. I don't even care what color the carpet is. I'm here to celebrate. I'm here to shout. I'm here to... Oh, come on, somebody praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When we remember the goodness of God, complaining and criticizing will seem unnatural to us. are constantly remembering what God has done for you. It does not bother you what God might do for someone else. When you are constantly reminding yourself how many times God forgave you. Yes, come on, I'm going to stay there, right? I got two more points to make before the night's over. But if we need to put a quarter in the machine and put it in park right here for a few more minutes, that's exactly what we're going to do. When you remember how good God has been to you, you don't care what song they sing. When you remember how good God has been to you, you don't care what backslider prays through. When you remember how good God has been to you, you don't care whose marriage gets put back together. When you remember how good God has been to you, 
You don't care how long the altar call is. When you remember how good God has been to you, you don't care how hot or how cold it is. The air conditioning doesn't bother you. You're not here for that. You're here to worship. You're here to worship the God that's been mighty good to you. You're here to worship the God. Oh, come on, somebody praise him. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, I feel something right there. Come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him for how good he's been to us. Come on, when you think about how good God has been to you, you're not so mad at anybody anymore. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, you know what? Let's just praise God some more because I just feel like God wants us to focus on his goodness towards us. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, God, for forgiving me every time I messed up. Thank you, God, for bringing my marriage back together. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for letting me come back after having been backslid so many years. Thank you, God, for all the times I blundered and I blew it and you picked me up. Thank you, God. I have no complaints. I'm not bitter. I'm not angry. I'm not complaining. And you know what? I don't have a lot of opinions. I'm just glad to be in the Father's house. I'm just, as the old song says, he didn't have to let me in. Amen. He didn't have to let me in. I'm just glad to be in God's service one more. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Servants are careful with their opinions. Not because they don't have one. Not because their opinion might be invalid. But the reason servants are careful with their opinions is because of the goodness of the Father. Nothing like God's goodness puts complaining and criticizing on hold. Nothing like the goodness of God helps us to stay focused on God. And that's what church is all about, isn't it? It's about keeping our eyes on Him. Can we lift our hands here just for a few seconds? I feel like God is talking to us. Hallelujah. Number two, the servants could be trusted with the father's wealth. Two times in this parable, the servants have the father's wealth in their hands. When the younger brother comes home, the prodigal as they call him. And when the party gets going. 
Now, what's really interesting is that there's two kinds of wealth here, private and public. The father says, my sons, come home. I want you to go into the house and into my room and get the shoes, the coat, and put it on my boy. Let me tell you something. In the days of the Bible, servants rarely even had shoes. You'll notice that when the prodigal came home, he did not have shoes on. And the father said to the servants, listen, go get shoes. Now, there's some servants that would have gone and got the shoes, ran towards the prodigal, and then kept running. And said, I don't think he deserves these shoes. And I wouldn't mind a nice pair of shoes for myself. But that's not what they did. They went and got the best clothes. Now, I want you to know, they had to go into that closet. And they had to make an assessment. What is the best here? They said, you know what? That's the best coat he has. You know what? Those are the best shoes he has. And yes, I would like a pair of shoes for me, but I want to be trusted with the Father's wealth. And so I'm going to take this good coat, and I'm going to take these good shoes, and I'm going to do just as I was told, and I'm going to run, and I'm going to put it on his backslid son. Because if the Father says that it's all about the mission, then it's all about the mission. And I'm going to be trusted. I'm going to be trustworthy. Even when nobody's watching me, the Father has trusted me to go in the closet and pull out the best. Nobody's watching. He is trusting my judgment. He is trusting my assessment. He knows and I know what the best really is. And I'm going to pull the best out. And it might even be something that I wish I could have. But I'm going to put it at the feet of the Father. And I'm going to put it towards the mission. And I'm going to put it towards God's plan. And I'm not... Hey, you know what? There's been a lot of times in my life, and I'm not here to talk about me. God knows we have better things to talk about. But there's been a lot of times in my life where I've wanted some nice things for myself, but I made a commitment somewhere. Amen. I made a commitment to the things of God, and I said, I'm going to have to put my desires on hold. Amen. Because there's something here that I desire more, and that's to be trusted with God's wealth. Amen. Because everything I have is not mine. It is God's wealth, and God is trusting me as his servant, and has his steward to be good with this and I'm going to give God my best. I'm going to go into the private sector of my life and pull out the very best I got for God. My pastor's not here. The people are not here. But I know and God knows what the best is and I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go get it and I'm going to bring it to the mission and I'm going to bring it to God and I'm going to be trustworthy with the Father's wealth. I'm going to, come on somebody. Hallelujah. I'm do you want a servant's heart? I want a servant's heart. That was the private wealth. He said, now I want you to go out into the field and get me the fatted calf. That was the public wealth. I don't have time to get into this. Suffice it to say, everything we have is God's. And we have to be trustworthy 
with the blessings of God. He has to bring God the best. The best. The best that we have. The best we can give. I'm going to tell you something. Little, little pro tip for living for God. When you don't hold on to anything too tight, you just get more and more and more. I remember a distinct moment in my own life where my only prayer was, God, I just want to be a conduit of your blessings. I just want to be a channel of your blessings. God, if you put it in my hands, I'm going to put it right back into your hands. I'm not, I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to trust in things. I'm going to trust in you who provides all things. And you know what? There's never been a day that I or my family have lacked. There's never been a day where I or my family have gone without. I'm telling you, he's a good God. He's a good God. And when you understand the simple concept of being trustworthy, God can trust me with whatever. He can trust me with the private and the public. He can trust me with my. Somebody give God a hand praise right now. Come on, we're going to level up tonight. We're going to. blessings. I want to be trusted with my time. I want to be trusted with my talents. I want to be trusted with my treasures. I want to be trusted with everything that I have in my possession because everything I have in my possession is a gift from God himself. My talents are not for this world. My talents are for the kingdom of God. My time, amen, is for God. My treasures are for God. My eyes are on God. And however God sees fit to use it is how exactly I'm... I, that Hallelujah. That's not, I'm not going to get caught up on that. I'm going to give God my talents. I'm going to give God my treasure. I'm going to give God my time. Come on. I want to be fully invested. I want to have skin in the game. Amen. I want to know. I want in. I want in on the kingdom. I want. Can we give God a hand praise right now? Oh, come on, let's praise him. Let's praise him. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's lift our hands and pray. Hallelujah. God, give me a servant's heart. Give me a servant's heart, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Last but certainly not least, the servants were happy when the father was happy. Whatever brought joy to the father's heart brought joy to their heart. If the father wanted to celebrate, they celebrated. They allowed the father's feelings to determine their feelings. 
They allowed the father's feelings to determine their feelings. This may not be a very profound thought for a lot of people. Or even a new idea. But if a church ever gets on fire, and this church is on fire, there are going to be people that come back to God. There are going to be people that have wandered, squandered, hurt, deceived, lied, cheated, and even wished the worst. And if the church gets on fire, and if the church stays on fire, there will be people that walk through this door that will have all of us holding our breath. Every church will face situations where, listen, there's only one kind of human, flawed. And every church We'll come across situations where the worst of us comes out. And people will come back to God. I'm, I'm constantly having to tell the people at our church, it is not our job to determine who can go to heaven. And it is not, we, we are trying to get into the pearly gates, not be gatekeepers. My job is to get through the gate, not guard the gate. And if we're not careful, we can all become a bunch of gatekeepers. Our job is not to guard the gate. God's a big boy. He can guard the gate himself. And guess what? If they're coming back, the Bible says that no man comes lest the Father draw him. If people are coming back, it's because God is drawing them back. If people, come on, if Saul turns to Paul, I want to give him the right hand of fellowship. I said, if Saul turns to Paul, I want to give him the right hand of fellowship. I want to be a Barnabas. I just want to be happy. If God says, let's shout, I just want to shout. If God says they're coming back, I, I just want to get excited about them coming back. If God's. If God saves them from getting divorced, I'm going to shout that they're not getting divorced. If God keeps the family together, I'm just going to get excited that God. Come on. What do we want? People to go to hell? That's not an option. That's not an option. We got to get excited. Come on, the church has to get on fire. The church has to wish the best for everyone. We ought to desire deep down in our spirits that the Bible says it's not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Whoever comes to repentance, I'm going to shout about it. Why? Because if one person repents, God shouts about it. The angels shout about it. And I want to have... You can't say you love God and then not love the things that God loves. God loves it when people come back home. God shouts when people come back home. We ought to shout when people come. If you love God, you ought to love the things that God loves. Somebody shout yes. Let's give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise.
Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Yes. I'm telling you right now, these are the keys. This is how you level up. You keep your opinion to yourself. You're good with God's money. And last but not least, you get excited when people pray back through. You get excited when people get the Holy Ghost. You get excited when people come to repentance. We can be trusted with the things of God. We get excited about the things of God. And we keep our eyes on God. I'm going to finish. <laughs> Many of you who know me, you probably heard me say this a lot here, but it took me a long time to get the Holy Ghost. It just took me a long time. And uh, I'm not so sure that it wasn't because there's was a lot of people hanging around that didn't believe I could get it. I was a heathen par excellence. You know, sometimes you don't really know who didn't believe in you until you've been in the church a few years. And then they come back and, you know, on the sly, they try to tell you, man, brother, you're doing so good. I never thought you'd even get the Holy Ghost. And you're like, thanks. Tell you the truth, I never thought you had it, brother. <laughs> Servants get excited. Servants didn't care what the older brother's opinion was. They weren't there to agree or disagree with him. They were just there to keep their finger on the pulse of the father. The servants knew that guy wasted all that money. That was none of their business. They knew he had wandered and squandered. That wasn't none of their business. It took me forever to get the Holy Ghost. I hated it. I begged God for it all the time. And when I finally got it, I told God, Jesus, use me to pray as many people through as I can to the Holy Ghost. Because I don't believe it should take anybody that long to get the Holy Ghost. And there was two things that God told me. Number one, you must believe that people have to repent. Number two, you have to believe that anybody can get it. We got a lot of elevator Christianity. You know what that is? You know how when you're pushing the button waiting for the elevator, and you're like pressing it hard, and then you keep pressing, and then finally you get in, and when you get in, you want it to hurry up? You don't want it to stop for anybody else? You hold, the, you hold your floor button, hoping that it won't stop, 
Because somebody told you that works, that don't work, by the way. That elevator is going to stop for somebody else. And a lot of us have that kind of Christianity. We want God to stop for us, but as soon as we get on, we're not so sure we want him to stop for other people. We want mercy to stop by our house, but we're not so sure we want it to stop by so-and-so's house. We want grace to stop by our house, but we're not so sure we want it to stop by. Listen, I want mercy to stop by my house and your house. I want mercy to stop by my casa and two casa. I want, mer- I want grace to stop. You want to be a church where people come to the altar and get the Holy Ghost easily? Then we should all be happy about it. We should all get excited about it. We should all believe that people need to repent. And we should all believe that when they do repent, God's going to pray them through. God's going to pray them back through. God's going to restore them. God's going to keep them. God's going to say. Oh, come on, come on, come on. to say something right now that might fly over like a ham sandwich at a Jewish wedding, okay? I have preached a lot in the Northwest. 